Hello, and welcome back to the Be Well, Do Well podcast. I'm excited to have a conversation today with a remarkable coach that helps leaders, quiet leaders, use their voice to create impact. Steve English is a coach, a trainer, and a TEDx speaker, and I'm excited to have him on the show. Welcome today, Steve. Hey, thank you so much. Awesome. So in the intro, I introduce you and uh, we talk a little bit about the, the quiet leaders, the introverts. I'm curious how you got to the point where you said, you know what, this is, this is the group that I want to help. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's funny. In when I was younger, everybody would have assumed I was an introvert. However, I was a shy extrovert. And, and I'll make a distinction there here in a moment. So part of the reason why I want to help this group of people is because I myself have struggled with so much of what many introverts struggle with in terms of you know, say social act, uh, interaction, speaking, running meetings, networking, all that kind of stuff that is really draining to them. And for me, it, when I was younger, it was more about the fear. It was about my shyness. It was about my insecurity. I was 311 pounds in high school, bullied, uh, you know, made fun of all the time for that. I was very, I went to a very small high school. Uh, we had, my graduating class was 40 people, <laughs> which was pretty, pretty, uh, pretty teeny tiny. Wow. And I, I stood out from the crowd and not in a great way. You know, here I was, I was original gangster nerd. You know, I was, I was the IT tech kid before there were IT tech kids, right? I was the only kid in my class that could put a hard drive into a computer. I was the only kid who got the math and the science award uh, in high school. And so I, that made me a little bit of a social outcast. And it took until I was about 25 till I really grew into myself. So that's part of why I did it. And then of course, once I got into corporate America, I kept seeing all these people who had just these absolutely amazing ideas, but couldn't influence the organization with them, couldn't express them, couldn't get people on their side. And so that made me think that maybe there's an opportunity to help them. Uh, and and in, in a way, it was all stuff that I had to learn myself mm -hmm. throughout my career. That's interesting. Now, you mentioned that you were, you know, heavier and shy and quiet. Sometimes, and you know, you look like you're you're physically healthy now. Definitely, you know, you're on podcasts, so you're not an uh, shy introvert in in that sense. What do you see when you see somebody that's quiet that identifies them as a leader? Ooh, that's a great question. So, typically, what I think of as a leader is somebody who who has a vision, who can express that vision and get people on board with them, and in a way. And I've been told this before in that tagline that I have helping quiet leaders, it's, it, there's kind of an aspirational component there. There's a lot of quiet people who they want to be in leadership position. So in, in a way I'm, I'm kind of talking about their future in some cases. And then there's also people who they are in a leadership position. They are naturally more quiet and introverted. However, they want to get better at their leadership capabilities. Mm -hmm. They want to be, they want to be more natural. They want to be more authentic. They want to have less fear. They want to, uh, maybe eliminate that imposter syndrome that they're currently feeling. So that's what I think of when I think of a quiet leader in some regards, it's a, 
it's a transitional or aspirational label in some regards. But of course, there are people who are bona fide introverts and there are exceptional leaders that you hear about in the news all the time. The Bill Gates, the Warren Buffetts, Mark Zuckerberg's, the Elon Musk's. That's interesting. And those are big names. So would you say that being an introvert can actually help somebody in a business leadership position? hundred percent, hundred percent. And the, the thing that is so helpful for them is that superpower that they have, they have many superpowers, but one of the biggest ones is preparation, mm. being, being somebody who sits on the sidelines a little bit and listens a lot and thinks a lot and synthesizes what they're hearing and being very well prepared to share. The challenge for them in many cases is that they, their bar of preparation is, is so high that they are stifled in terms of taking action. So in other words, if for example, they spent, let's say 30% less time preparing and went ahead and just went into the, in front of the audience and, and shared what they had they would get better results than if they continue to be raising the bar on their preparation. But yeah, number one superpower for sure is that ability to kind of synthesize, listen, and prepare for whatever it might be, whether or not it's delivering a presentation, creating uh, some kind of report for others. They, they really, really lean into that preparation. Would you say that there's a bit of a fine line between like over-preparing and, and perfectionism then? Yeah, hundred percent. And I had a, a client who was in that mode that this, this gentleman will refer to him as Ron. Ron was, uh, in an organization where he, he saw this opportunity to create this system and this system would help debug faults inside of microelectronics. So imagine circuit design. Right. And he had this idea about it, but he kept, he kept saying, well, I, I need it to do this, this, and this before I take it to anybody. And I need it to do this, this, and this. And, and it was never what you and I might consider to be minimum viable product level. It was really full launch, you know, maybe even a beta, a beta testable right. uh, app. And, and I, I kept telling him, you're, you're not going to know if you're on the right path until you get some feedback mm. and you're not going to, you're possibly not going to feel very inspired to keep working on this if you don't have people interested in your organization. And so I got him to, to really produce a minimum viable product and then take that and put it in front of his executive leadership. And at that point he had people, you know, two, three, four job grades ahead, uh, above him saying, what help do you need? Uh, you know, how can I help you? And then all of a sudden he had this tribe in essence, he had other people who were like, yeah, this is so cool. I want to do more things like this. And so while that original project became kind of like the skunk works or the leading edge, if you will, he then had other smaller projects that spun out of it, but he would have only, he only had that opportunity to create those smaller projects after having gone in front of the audience with his minimum viable product idea for this larger uh, system. Now, that's interesting. The more I think about the idea of introverts and quiet leaders, I think about Michael Jackson. And I remember an interview that he did with Oprah. 
long time ago. And, you know, he was shy and he was quiet and like you, you couldn't tell that this is the Michael Jackson, right? As soon as he got on stage, there was a stage behind him. They were sitting on the edge. As soon as he got up and he got on the stage, he was like a completely different person. And, and that, that comes to mind a lot when I think about uh, presenters and entrepreneurs and, and, you know, really big thought leaders is when they have something that triggers them, whether it's the audience, the spotlight, the music, then they're just like out of their shell and, and they wake up. Is there something that you see as triggers to help entrepreneurs? So if there's somebody listening to the show, they self-identify as, a, as, a, uh, as an introvert. Is there some triggers that you've noticed that help people kind of break out and do their thing, do what they need to do, and then they can go back into their shell afterwards? The thing that I have seen is making it more about the audience, making it more about service will help them break out. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is that when we're in our own head, when we're in our, you know, and making it all about me, uh, then we typically will bring all of our own limiting beliefs and all of our own negative thought patterns into that mental conversation, right? Like, oh my gosh, you know, I don't really know this very well. Um, how, how is this, uh, you know, how am I going to be seen? I, you know, I become very self-conscious when I'm, when I'm in that space, it's harder for me and for many other people to, to get up and we'll just call it perform since you brought up Michael Jackson. But when you make it about the audience, when you, you know, what is it that is exciting about this for them? How are they served? What will they be able to do or what will they know as a result of me presenting this or me, uh, but by this performance, for example. So I, I feel like that's the big thing that I've seen work and, and, and that's introvert, extrovert. I think that's really, it doesn't really matter, but I think getting out of self and doing something in service for others can eliminate a lot of those uh, self-limiting beliefs, if you will. Yeah. The, the other thing that I've seen is, um, and, and there's a book called The Alter Ego Effect that talks about this, is, mm -hmm. is creating another self-identity. Um, so an example there would be you know, Martin Luther King, those glasses that he wore, they were just clear lenses. And he would put those on before he got up to speak. So he had a totem. That's what they call that, a totem or an object. So that could be another trigger is maybe it's a certain outfit that you wear, or maybe it's a certain, you know, watch that you put on, or maybe you have a bracelet or something that you associate with this other self-identity. That's a little bit more, it's a little bit more challenging to get into for most people. But I think the first one of just making it really about the audience, about the people in the room will help you get out of that, uh, that social self. Mm -hmm. That's, that's great advice. I've read that book, the alter ego effect a number of times. And, uh, I don't wear glasses, but I actually did get a pair of clear lens yeah. glasses. And it's an interesting idea with that totem where, you know, you've got something and when you, when you hold onto it, Superman takes off his, you know, shirt and he takes off his glasses. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, that's really cool. When it comes to connecting with other people, I think that's a really fun way to do it. You know, you put your glasses on, now you're in performance mode. But sometimes you're put into awkward positions like networking or parties, you know, mm -hmm. or get togethers with family yeah. and stuff like that. How do, how do introverts, quiet people, you know, thrive and, and manage that? Or do they even need to just, do they need to do anything different when they're in social situations? Well, the main thing they need to do differently is manage energy. Mm. And so 
you know, kind of going back to that distinction between a shy extrovert and an introvert, I, I've heard it said before, I think Simon Sinek said it is like every morning an introvert wakes up with six matches and every social interaction is like burning a match. Whereas an extrovert, they wake up in the morning and every time they have a social engagement or social exchange with another person, they get a match. So it's really about how do you manage energy? So that's the first thing is I would say, hey, if, if a person didn't have a lot of time to prepare for that networking event or what have you, is I would say, first, give yourself some breaks. Take, take time away throughout the event. Maybe meet some people for a few moments and then go off and, and have a break. So first, manage your energy. The second thing is if they had some time to prepare, again, lean into that superpower of preparation and come up with two, three, four icebreaker, open-ended questions to, to ask people, to get them talking, right? It's just like Dale Carnegie said, in order to be interesting, get interested. Mm -hmm. So going out there into those social situations and letting other people shine by telling their stories is, is a really great way of genuinely networking and having people like you. Um, so I, that's what I would say is, you know, come up with a few open-ended questions that you can use in social situations, and then also have a, a good way of kind of bailing out, right? Like walking away, like, oh, I, I need to go talk to this other person. It's really great to talk to you. I'll, I'll circle back later. I want to give you my LinkedIn or, you know, I want to exchange contact information, but I, I need to go talk to this person right now. It's great talking to you. See ya and then go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I, I've done that many times. Sometimes um, I feel like I'm in a conversation in a group and it's not really going anywhere. And I think I'm, the conversations run its course. Then yeah. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go grab a drink or I'm going to go grab, you know, this. So I love that. That's a great idea. I'll say this also, here's an advanced technique on that is at the end, let's say, for example, like you said, that the conversation is petering out, go into service and ask the question, who are you looking to meet? Which really gives you a wonderful opener when you meet new people, you know, you could start with that, Hey, um, you know, those open-ended questions, Hey, you know, what was the most exciting thing you've done in the last six months or what's, what's been a, you know, what, uh, what's something you're really proud of or whatever it might be. And once that's run its course and you're kind of like wondering, well, where do I go with this? You'd say, Hey, I just met, I met Tom over there and Tom's looking to meet ABC. Mm -hmm. Do you know anybody here? Oh yeah. This person. So then you go over and meet them. So yeah, you can be of service to others and that can be a really great way of, of creating those connections. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. Uh, it's almost like that super connector idea, right? Where you, you know more people, you don't have to actually know the, the subject matter, but you know who right. you can refer people to. Yeah. And that's actually what brought me in a lot of ways to this particular um, area in coaching and in delivering workshops is I, you know, I took like, every, well, many people have taken like strength finders. Mm -hmm. Uh, I also took standout 2.0 and standpoint standout 2.0 really just boils you down to two things, like two, two superpowers, if you will. And one of mine is connector. And I just love doing, like, I keep almost like in my mind's eye, I have like metadata for every single person <laughs> that I, that I interact with. And then when I meet a new person, my brain just naturally goes and does a little search and goes, oh, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. And so I've been a, I've even been a matchmaker. I have, I have a married couple in my network of people. I was like, Hey, you know what? 
first it might be a good date for you. And, uh, yeah. So anyway, yeah, that's, I, I really, really love that idea of connecting with people and especially from that place of service, um, you know, that whole go giver idea, mm -hmm. right? Like help, help people and you'll be helped. Right. One, one thing I, when I talk to some of our clients that are coaches is that initially they start because they either fit the avatar, they fit the persona that they're trying to help. But then over time, what I've noticed is that they end up learning so much about themselves that they transform. They become something other than who they were when they started to help others and, and in service of others. So has there been any kind of aha moments or any pivots that you've made along your journey that, you know, that you'd like to share with us? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I would say the TEDx stage was a big pivot. I would say delivering keynotes, delivering speeches at networking events was, was really, you know, a big shocker for me because I never would have thought myself to do that. And I say never, I mean, when I, you know, kind of going back for your listeners, you know, probably some of your listeners are wondering, hey, you know, what's this guy's background? So I was actually a, a physics major, material science major. I spent 22 years in the semiconductor industry as a quality and reliability engineer. So this wasn't really something that's in the wheelhouse of most engineers. And in, what was that? About 2008, I joined Toastmasters International. I started speaking and I, I was not a great speaker. You know, I was very nervous, uh, very, I would stumble over my own words. I had a, some challenges with improvisational speaking, all of that. And I got better and better and better. So I think that for me, those big ahas, those big, like, wow, I can't believe I did that, you know, were things like speaking in front of large, large audiences and having a, a greater impact, um, you know, building my, my network on, on platforms like LinkedIn. And I wouldn't say it was ever like a big burning bush aha moment, just little milestones along the way. Right. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. I've, I've always wanted to do a TEDx talk. Uh, I think during COVID, everything shut down and I was set to do some big talks and then they kind of put it on hold. So hopefully that'll mm -hmm. happen. But I actually really enjoy stages. I really enjoy audiences and getting in front. So what is something that right now that you're working on that thought you really fired up and really excited? What am I really, really excited about? You know, there's so many things and I, I suffer from shiny object syndrome. Um, I will, I will get into one thing. Uh, what I am really excited about is using the disc assessment and the five behaviors of a cohesive team to help teams. Okay. A lot of, you know, you mentioned the pandemic, a lot of teams went fully remote during the pandemic and then I've also onboarded. So there's been entire teams built with people who have never even met face to face and have not really built a high level of cohesion in those teams. And so I'm really excited about being able to offer that more and more to both, you know, remote and, and in-person teams. There's even in-person teams that just haven't done a lot of team development over the last couple of years, um, just based upon the fact that there was so much churn in the market. And I think with the job market tightening up a little bit, maybe we'll start to see more of teams that are uh, a little more stable in terms of 
the headcount, you know, the people that are in the team are not going to be changing out as much. And so it's going to be a really good opportunity for organizations to, to build the trust within those groups and to have healthy conflict and to really build the commitment, um, have accountability in the department. And then ultimately all of that turning into really great results for the, the organization. That's interesting. It's, you're the second person today, not, not this week, not this month, today to mention the DISC assessment. Uh, I was talking to uh, another client who's a CFL and NFL player, and he has retired from football and now he's moved into corporate coaching and he helps uh, you know, teams just exactly like what you mentioned. So t- tell us a little bit, because I think our entrepreneurs in the audience are listening to this thinking, well, I want to build a team or I have a team that's not cohesive because it's remote and we don't meet in person. So what is the DISC assessment and and how can that be used to help teams? Yeah. So the DISC is a behavioral assessment that was created in the 20s. So it's actually been around for for quite some time. And what it does is it breaks down uh, behavior styles into four basic quadrants. And of course, there's a mix. You know, you could have a a combination. So the DISC, it stands for, you know, D for dominant, um, you know, I for influencing, S for steady, and C for conscientious. And of course, you could be a blend of any one of these. Uh, And what it comes down to is that first, once you know yourself, so so the self-awareness is really the first step. So so knowing, for example, like I'm an SI style, and that that means that I tend to be uh, a very good listener. I tend to be very much um, looking to help other people, very much of service. Even though I am, I have that eye in there, I don't always want to be the center of attention. So that kind of the eye takes a, a back seat. So I'm kind of the, uh, you know, more of in a supporting role. So the S for steadiness uh, is more of a, a, a supporting kind of uh, player. And once you know yourself, then, Hey, I know these are some places that I need to grow into, right? For example, you know, that, that dominant or directive for the D, uh, oftentimes you'll see it as directive. Sometimes you'll see it as dominant depends on which, uh, which version of the assessment you've had. I know that that for me is a real challenge because it's on the opposite side of the quadrant. And so for me to be much more clear about agreements with people is a, a growth opportunity for me. Like, okay, uh, at the end of this conversation, we're going to walk away with A, B, and C, and you're going to do X, Y, Z. So that's something that I, I, I have to keep in the front of my head of, I, this is something I need to uh, focus on because the other stuff comes really naturally. So I think that's, right. that's the first step is becoming self-aware, knowing where you're already strong and know where you have an opportunity for improvement. So that's the first then once you start to understand other people, you can understand how to communicate with them, how to interact with them. Let's say, you know, that this person over here is conscientious, right? So you've got that conscientious coworker, which is typically associated with introversion. So the, the, the C's and the S's tend to be introverts, whereas the D's and the I's tend to be extroverts, but the, the conscientious person, they're very data-driven. So if I come to them with an emotional plea, that's not going to land. If instead I bring data, then I'm going to be able to have a better chance of influencing them and getting them on my side. So really what it is, is it's about customizing and being more flexible toward the way that you interact with other people. So that's the DISC side of it. Okay. And do, does the team have to do the assessment or as the, as the 
leader in the group, if you understand how to assess, can you visually and just by listening to no, them, them? No, it's better if a person actually does the assessment themselves okay. and then shares it with other people. Okay. Um, so yeah, I, I think it would be really tough for a, a leader to develop an awareness of that, of disc in general to the point where they can say, okay, this person is, and, you know, you could probably guess, you might be able to guess kind of close to it, but mm -hmm. I think the real, the real win is when the people on the team all understand their disc styles and are like, like, for example, when I run these workshops, I'll have, I'll, I'll, it's called building the room, right? And I'll have the I's over here, the S's over here, the C's and the D's, and I'll, I'll break them out into groups. And then they'll give examples of times where these behaviors that are typical of an I that, that are, that are happening. Right. And so in those cases, this is what I do, and this is what I need from others. So really it, it builds a conversation. Effectively, the workshop is a long conversation. Mm-hmm around their behavioral styles and what's working, what's not working. I love that. Um, throughout this conversation, you know, you brought up a few things that, that are just sticking in my mind right now. One is the idea of managing your energy, you know, and the magic. Yeah. I love that analogy of that. And from what you're saying right now with this disc, I think that self-assessment is huge. I've met so many people and, you know, uh, either they're business partners or employees or clients of mine that don't really understand themselves and how they work in relation to a team or in a client and, and, uh, you know, owner perspective or client and service provider perspective that knowing your strengths really can help that move forward. And I'll give you an example of that is that, um, I was working with somebody that was, you know, very ADHD in their, in their life and in their work. Mm -hmm. And I don't think, um, they understood that until they had taken an assessment, learned more about it and realized that, as somebody with ADHD, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs suffer with ADHD, or maybe I shouldn't say suffer, have ADHD and need to manage it, mm -hmm. is that planning, just like introvert planning is a really big aid to help them move forward. So that's really cool to, to hear that, you know, if you take that assessment, and is this a free assessment or is this something that coaches like you would provide? Yes and yes. So okay. really what it comes down to is uh, there are there are free resources out there. You mm -hmm. can, you can use them. Uh, of course you get what you pay for. There's right. also systems like I use through Wiley. Okay. So the Wiley partners, um, you know, Wiley is a large publishing company mm -hmm. and they, they own the rights to, to disc and, you know, let's say they, they own the rights, they build it into, uh, various systems that they have, various assessments that they have, and they have something called catalyst. That's really, really cool. Where Instead of like in the, in the old days, you would get your report and you would get either a PDF or you'd get a printout of it. And then you would, um, really only be able to share about your report with other people in a workshop setting or, you know, directly emailing your report to other people. But in this case with catalyst, there's a, a system where everybody on the team has all of their information in the system and you're able to say, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to go, um, you know, interact with, with this person. How is it that I best interact with them? So really at that point, you could go into the system ahead of time, make a plan of, okay, this is what works with this person. This is what doesn't work with this person. So I can have some awareness around that. I can customize my interaction with them to be more effective. So 
there are, are ways that you can use it that are more effective than simply having, okay, I went on and I, I downloaded this off of a, a website or I used this assessment and then I shared it with my group. You know, you can, you can really have it be almost part of your departmental culture. Right. That's very cool. Now, is there a specific group of leaders that you enjoy working with, an avatar or a persona? That's a great question. And I know we've already had this conversation about the, uh, right. the client avatar. Um, you know, there, I, I like, obviously I like to work with courageous people, people who are experimental, people who want to try things out. Uh, that, you know, that's, that's one thing that that's, that's always out there in terms of like industries. I like people who are in, you know, very dynamic industries, maybe, you know, startup environment, maybe more tech focused, just because there, there is so much creativity and innovation that's available there. Um, and really in the case of like that, that quiet leader, they got tons of great ideas, but it's just, they're not, they're not bringing them to the fold. They're not having those conversations with other people about it. They're not getting people on board. Uh, with, with, uh, whatever that, that big idea is that big innovative idea. So that, that's a, I guess that's, that's who I really, really enjoy working with. Right. Um, and of course there's, there's also stuff about, you know, mentioning energy, just that person who's a little bit more playful, has a sense of humor, um, uh, you know, it doesn't take themselves too seriously, takes their work seriously, but doesn't take themselves right. too seriously. Oh, that's perfect. I love that. I love that. And if, if there is somebody that was really interested in the work that you do, where can they learn more about it and connect with you? Yeah. Uh, if they go to my website, www.stephenenglish.net, Stephen with a V, uh, or if they find me on LinkedIn, uh, LinkedIn is really my jam. You know, you could find me on TikTok, but the videos are <laughs> probably two, three weeks old or, you know, Instagram, I, I very rarely over there. Uh, but yeah, LinkedIn is really my jam. So if, uh, on a LinkedIn search bar, if you put in Stephen English, comma, PCC for professional certified coach. Not that there's a ton of Stephen Englishes out there, but you know, yeah. make it a lot easier for people to find me. Awesome. Awesome. Well, this has been really fun. I've, I've learned a lot. Uh, I got to know you a little bit better and uh, really happy that you were able to make it on the show. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.